Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, it's been uh, a few weeks, which is how, why I forgot them, how I'm supposed to start yeah. uh, these. And I also, uh, I'm just going to jump into the movies, uh, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, the The downside of whenever we wait a few weeks is that we go a few weeks between doing a movie journal is that it's been a long time now since I've seen the movies that are earlier on my list. Um, yeah. and, uh, luckily this first one, I wrote a movie, a review of it. You can, you can go, uh, read the review, but I watched Kevin McDonald's the Mauritanian. Okay. Um, and recent uh, golden globe winner for Jodie Foster. Huh? Yes. I, um, forgot that the golden globes happened already <laughs> i didn't fun. watch them yeah no of course not um I, I guess i'm trying to think if i usually do i don't remember if i when i last watched the golden globes um yeah i don't remember that i think once uh, they really started branding themselves as like you never know what's going to happen i think that's the moment i'm like okay i think i'm done i i think i, st I stuck with it longer than uh than you but i yeah i know i didn't watch last year because that was when ricky gervais was back right was that last year i think so okay or maybe it was two years ago either, either way i didn't watch that i didn't watch the last ricky gervais one i didn't watch this one um and yeah i was like i i, I kind of forgot that they happened already yeah. um because i was almost like uh um when you said golden globe winner i was almost like you mean nominee right uh, oh, right. And then I realized, yeah. like, oh, right, the actual awards happened. Anyway, yeah. uh, that's enough vamping because I don't really have much to say about the Mauritanian. Uh, it's a, um, it's a run-of-the-mill sort of based on a two-story type of of of, of drama. Um, everyone's just sort of you've got a decent cast, but mostly they're just like filling their roles you know it's it's rare that jodie foster is not good in a movie but i can't really say much about her hmm. here she's just fulfilling the role of like the fiery cocky like yeah. uh do-gooder uh, uh attorney um benedict coverbatch is doing uh, i watched the movie alone late at night and the first time he opened his mouth and started speaking i laughed out loud because he is doing this like foghorn leghorn like super thick <laughs> uh <laughs> southern accent um it's it's ridiculous I, but i got i guess um the i'm not normally critical of people's accents in movies um and the the main thing is i don't care if an accent is like incorrect if it's if a person's consistent with it then i'll just buy it usually and so i will say that about like benedict cumberbatch he like commits to this like, over the top accent and i did get used to it pretty quickly sure um but the other thing i'll say about the movie is that uh i i feel like Ke kevin mcdonald it, it almost feels like he wasn't really thinking too hard about what the movie was saying because the do you know what the movie's about uh, I saw a trailer for her recently and the trailer made it look interesting, um, but I couldn't quite place it. Yeah. It's uh, about uh, a man who was, um, I guess, detained 
um, for being uh, uh, under suspicion of being a recruiter for the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and then he spent uh, years and years and years and years in Guantanamo Bay without ever being charged with a, with a crime. Um, and so Jody Foster plays the lawyer who's not trying to argue whether or not he was involved in 9-11, just arguing that it is unconstitutional and inhumane to hold someone without charging them for this this long. That's the that's the the argument. And then uh spoiler alert, he gets out of prison at the end, eventually. Okay. Um uh and then for some reason the movie wants to like treat it as if it's a movie as if we're watching like The Hurricane or a movie about an exonerated man. It's like, no, sure. you've spent two hours reiterating that we don't know whether or not this guy was involved in 9-11 and that's not what the what the argument right. is about that's not what the case is about then suddenly you want to treat it like it's a this moral victory right uh, which i guess it is a, a more victory in the sense that it's immoral to uh detain someone for no reason um but still it, it the movie just seemed like it seemed so phoned in by so many of the people involved uh i do like um and i have to look up his his name the guy who plays the the mauritanian um uh that's an unfortunate he, title by the way because nobody knows what that means and i'm sure the movie explains it but it does it just sounds well, it means someone from mauritania well um, that's right but i don't know what that i don't know anything about that that means okay. that it means nothing to me okay well um yeah i guess um it is how he is often referred to at Guantanamo Bay. I guess he's the only, okay. the only one from Mauritania who's who's there. So the, he is generally referred to as the Mauritanian. Um, but uh, I guess so. Um, I don't know. I'm not as bothered by the title as you are. Um, I know uh, a few weeks ago when when Scott was on uh, talking about the assistant, he doesn't like he doesn't like that kind of title that just like sums up a uh a person like um is this man supposed to represent all of mauritania sure somehow? sure uh anyway that's not uh the point uh the point is that i was looking up his name and i forgot uh his name's tahar rahim and he's actually uh pretty good i think uh he's doing a good job um uh everyone else seems to be mostly phoning it in uh including uh shailene woodley an actress that i usually like mm. um anyway uh my next one though is uh this is filling in a, a, a blind spot, but you know, you and I were talking um, on the Patreon, on the TV journal um, about, we were talking about dear white people, but it led us to talking about Spike Lee because Spike Lee is right. referenced both like literally referenced. And also there are cinematic references to his work uh, in, in dear white people, the TV show. Um, and we were talking about, she's got to have it which has also been turned into a uh, Netflix series. And I was like, well, I've never seen she's got to have it. Hmm. So uh, we watched, she's got to have it. And uh, man, it's great. Um, Do you, have you seen it? I have not. Uh, I I mean, it, it really feels like, I'm not sure. Is this, uh, what did, what did Spike Lee? He'd made school days before she's got to have it. Is that right? I, um, I think he made it after, but I'm not actually sure. Let me see. Um, 
No, yeah, this is his first real feature. Well, he's got one on IMDb called Joe's Bedside Barbershop. We cut heads. It's an hour long. Um, but yeah, so she's got to have it as his first uh, uh, feature. Then, then school days. Okay, and so it's amazing then how much of Sp- the Spike Lee that we know was fully formed just came out of the box that way. Um, uh, it's 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 about a woman who is uh, dating three men at the same time and they're all kind of aware that she's that the it's not like she's cheating on any of them they're, they're aware she's playing the field and they're all kind of each one of them is kind of making a case for uh uh for themselves but often in ways that are um they think are making a case but uh, uh undercut them uh, you know the one guy is like a total snob mm-hmm. um uh and and is basically saying like you don't you know you deserve better than these other guys which is and which sounds condescending not a right. not the way he he means it spike lee plays one of them who's uh um i think you could call it self-aggrandizing for him to put himself uh, uh in with these other suitors these other romantic competitors but the movie does make a case for um the currency of being funny in the dating scene sure because his character is hilarious um it's always fun when he's on screen um and and there's uh there's a part of you that's like i get why yeah these other two guys are like have more money or they're better looking or they like uh, have more ambitions uh but you also get why mars is in the mix because he's super fun to be around um but uh uh really i was just very taken by how much of of his his style um the things we associate with spike lee are there in this in this first film the 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 lens choices especially the sort of direct address uh scenes um to the camera the um the the way that he uh his frames tend to be balanced but not like and i'm not slagging off wes anderson i've done plenty of that before but uh wes anderson is meticulous yes spike lee is very uh has very balanced compositions but there's still a lot of feeling of spontaneity and anything could happen within these the these frames uh there's a lot of um I would say color, but the movie's in black and white. But it mm-hmm. it, it it feels like that. It feels bursting uh, at, at, at every moment. And the movie's uh, super funny. It has some, as movies that are this old do, it has a couple things that probably haven't aged uh, sure. super well. Um, uh, but I w- uh, it, it's a really invigorating movie. I, would, uh, if, I know I'm behind. Most people probably listening have seen She's Gotta Have It. Uh, but I hadn't, and now I have. Have you seen it? I forget. No. Okay. Okay, David, my first film. Now, you would th- it's interesting. At this moment in my life, I don't have a great deal of time to watch movies. So, you would think that with so little time and at a, a season when I should be catching up with, you know, 2020 releases, uh, you'd think I would try to minimize my rewatches, much less not rewatch an almost four hour movie, but oh I watched the Irishman. Uh, um, I was going to guess. 
Oh, okay. Sorry about that. I was going to guess Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, but I realized that's over four hours. That's it is over four hours. Four yes. Movie. It's an over four hour movie. Uh, but yeah, and I don't have uh, much to say about The Irishman that I haven't said before. I do adore it, and I find it extremely rewatchable. Um, and it is just, it is a tremendously mature piece of work. And it, I mean, Scorsese is always that, but like, it is about mature, the maturity of somebody who has le- led a very immature and obviously immoral life. Uh, and I just really appreciate Scorsese just willing to do whatever sound, whatever feels right, whether it be throwing up like the, the fates of, of characters uh, on screen as you see them. Uh, it's just such a movie in retrospect, which makes sense given the the nature of the story. Um I will say, uh, I, I text. It's funny you talk about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's accent because I, I texted you, "Hey, we've never done an episode about accents, um, and I would like to do one because I agree with you. If something is consistent, then that's fine, even if it's not particularly good." I love what Al Pacino is doing with Jimmy Hoffa emotionally. Uh, and I like, I mean, it's a fully crafted character, but he starts out doing that sort of Chicagoan type accent. And then just over the course of the film, you're lucky if you get an occasional, uh, nod in that direction, it just becomes kind of the standard Al Pacino thing. And it's, it's frustrating in that way because it's like, well, you've shown that you're capable of doing this at the beginning. Uh, and yet you're not committed to it. And it just, it, it frustrates me, especially because I like what he's doing uh, with the character emotionally and, and, and making him such a tragic character, very much like sort of responsible for his own fate in a way. So uh, that does frustrate me. And I've seen the movie three times now and it frustrates me every time. Uh, But also I do think, you know, Every once in a while, even the most reliable actor, you know, the one, the ones that, you know, are really good can surprise you with a specific moment, like uh, the questioning at the end of Captain Phillips and Tom Hanks character is in shock. That is to me, some astonishing acting Uh, Meryl Streep in the post when she makes the decision to run the story. I think that's an amazing moment. And Robert De Niro, when he is calling Jimmy Hoffa, when he's calling Jimmy Hoffa's wife after Hoffa has gone missing, Mm -hmm. that is some of the best acting Robert Robert De Niro has ever done. And it is absolutely astonishing. uh, That scene, the the whole movie is great and he's very good throughout, but that scene is genuinely some of the best acting he's ever done. And some of the best acting I've seen in like the last 10 years. All right. Um, that snuck up on me. I should have gotten the next one. Uh, uh, what was that? Oh, I'm opening my water bottle. Oh, okay. It sounded like you were snapping at me like, hey, get it together. Yeah. Um, and there it goes again. Um, yeah, well, know, now I closed it. I, I had my drink and now I'm done. I don't want to spill. Okay. Um, is that you, when we're back pre- pre-zoom recording you didn't do that right didn't do what snap open water bottles on the sure i did yeah huh all right i've had this water bottle for quite some time um i got a new one recently uh 
uh anyway that's not the point <laughs> i think the, it is i think let's pivot <laughs> the the um the point is that i watched a um the new uh, i say the new film by andre Konchalovsky, but the new film by andre Konchalovsky is dear comrades which already came out uh his previous film sin is only now being released at least virtually uh in the u.s but it's from 2019 and it is uh it's uh, a Michelangelo biopic, but it is oh. specifically, um, you know, we, we, we talked about how uh, we tend to prefer the biopics that don't try to tell the whole life story. Yeah. Um, there are some uh, exceptions to that. I think we both liked get on up as we talked about on the uh, mm. recently on the Chadwick Boseman profile episode with Terrence. Um, but generally we like the biopic that sort of zeroes in on one particular uh uh portion of a of the subject's life uh so this uh sin takes place right it starts with him finishing or at least being told that he's finished with the sistine chapel and then takes place over the most of the next decade which was by the standards of michelangelo who's a very prolific artist uh, kind of a fellow unproductive period although the movie argues that's not that he fell into a kind of like a lack of inspiration. It's that he had uh, 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 a contracts with the family of the previous Pope who died and the new Pope took over, which meant the Medici's were back in control of, of Rome and they contracted him to do something. So he was basically being torn between two loyalties, loyalty between two families, powerful Italian families who didn't like each other. And so he spends most of the movie not being able to get anything done because he's kind of having to uh, 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 go back and forth across the country and try to procure marble. And like, it's just a, a frustrating time, but also he's a frustrating person. The, uh, the, 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 the movie is not necessarily a, uh, it's not the, it's not the warts and all thing. That's mostly warts as we've talked about. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, it, it, it does, uh, present michelangelo as someone who is um petty uh, uh a lot of the time and, and prone to uh uh explosions of uh of anger um but then like just there's a part where he fires one of his apprentices because he finds out that his apprentice had lunch with Raphael's apprentices and okay uh, and so he in a rage he fires the apprentice and then like feel immediately feels bad and goes and chases him down the street and like finds the man crying in the street and like walks him back to the workshop and is like no i'll get you some good food i'll get we'll get you some lamb do you like lamb <laughs> um That's so, yeah there are funny moments um like that uh i think the movie is not uh entirely successful by by the end but it is made up of some really interesting uh moments that uh, uh the the you know i'll go back with the interesting moments the the centerpiece of the film is that he uh purchases an enormous slab of marble and normally these people who cut slabs of marble out of the mountain they cut them into pieces to like the specifications of the artist and they transport them down the mountain. But he's like, no, I want the whole thing as one. I want to make some 
he doesn't I, we don't know what the plan for it is where i want to make some enormous statue um but just getting a slab of marble marble this size down the mountain is uh um uh, a feat in itself in which new new tactics have to be engineered new types of like braces have to be made by the the steel smiths or whatever um and so this uh, the the uh the slab of marvel becomes like i guess like the boat in uh Fitzcarraldo, though like a, right. a, a representation of his hubris um and there's a lot of cool stuff uh with that um once again we've got the um one three three to one aspect ratio that Kanchalowski also did it mm. with uh with De- dear comrades um here i think it's used very well because michelangelo's main uh medium was uh statuary and the sort of taller frame sure. fits uh, uh the statues is able to show him dwarfed by his own statues um but uh and so maybe this is a, the movie's all in Italian, takes place in Italy. The actors are Italian, but Andrei Kocholowski is Russian. And mm-hmm. maybe because of that fact, I'm projecting comparisons to Andrei Rublev onto this movie. Okay. But both, both movies are about artists who trafficked in religious imagery that was made, that was commissioned by and made for churches and popes and, 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 and that, that, that sort of thing. Um, but the question at the heart is, is, is my, are these artists doing this out of a, a piety or uh, of their own, or is there vanity? Are they, do, do they, do they think that they're, and, and I think, um, where sin ultimate ultimately falls short, I think is that it feels, it, it doesn't leave as much room for ambiguity in the answers to that question. It, right. it feels like, it, whereas Andre Rublev is a movie that, you know, like a battleship pretension episode goes on for over three hours and doesn't actually <laughs> arrive at a conclusion, which sure. is why I love Andre Rublev. Um, uh, but this one's a little too pat by the end, but it's, uh, it, I can't dismiss it out of hand. It's got some good performances and some really great uh, moments in it. Okay. Still you, I believe, right? Oh shit. You're right. Um, I feel like you're tired. I know you're, maybe I know you're tired. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. Uh, okay. it's, it, I was telling you off Mike that, uh, the, the kids have hit a specific phase where they're, they're learning a lot of new things and, uh, but not everything necessary for a calm life. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit exhausted. That's, uh, okay. I, I mentioned because I feel like in these pandemic times, you and I have done a pretty good job over zoom of maintaining our chemistry. And I feel like I'm yeah. not, I'm not, <laughs> we're not connecting today. It feels very strange. Um, I disagree. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll um, try to, I'll try to, uh, to keep it going. Here we go. Watch um, out. But, uh, you're reminding me of something my brother-in-law just, just said about, uh, cause they also have, my my sister and brother-in-law also have twins. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a couple years older than yours. And my brother-in-law recently said, cause now they're like his, they're a little over two years. They're like moving around and stuff. And I really was like, I just can't wait for them to get to the age where they understand that they could get hurt. 
<laughs> sure. Because right now they're big enough to climb on things, but not smart enough to know that if they fall off of things, they could get seriously hurt. And it's like apparently very stressful just having to always keep your eye on two kids. I uh, imagine so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I will say so as I was talking, as I was telling you uh, beforehand, um, so one of the, so the kids are now rolling over. That's, that's their big thing right now. And, uh, and Dashiell has learned to roll from his back onto his stomach and he loves to do it, but he has not yet mastered rolling back onto his back. So he will, he's stranded on his stomach and he can't sleep that way. And he gets fussy and all that. So we're trying to get some, you know, teach him some muscle memory, so that he can do that. Uh, but anyway, so as Jen and I were, Jen was telling a, a friend uh, about that. And then her friend said, yeah, my daughter is at that age where she has learned how to stand up, but doesn't know how to sit down, which I, I this is the first time I've ever heard of something I've like that. That sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, because yeah if you've never stood up before then it is amazing but yeah. you probably feel like i've never been at this height before like imagine you it's it's like being stuck at the top of a ladder and you can't get down uh <laughs> you know to me uh sitting is my natural uh, state and so the idea that uh, that a kid can't figure that out uh is uh truly horrifying uh they just need to get a a, a standing uh pack and play um, <laughs> make a little Donald Rumsfeld out of that kid. And then, you know, they can act a little bit superior to the other kids <laughs> yeah. and be like, it's, it's the best kind of pack and play. You get so much more done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My second movie is Josh Greenbaum's Barb and star go to Vista Del Mar. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've watched it yet, but uh, Tyler, you need to watch this movie okay. is our kind of just very, very silly. It comedy. looked silly to me in a good way. Uh, and it's also, uh, I'll, I'll uh, steal this observation from uh, my wife. The first thing she said when it's over is like, she was like, uh, good to know that Jamie Dornan is super funny. <laughs> like he's not an actor who has played, uh, I mean, depending on how you felt about wild mountain time, he's not played uh, overly comedic uh, roles in the past, but he's great uh, here um, as the, villain turned or the the hench, villain's henchman turned love interest um that's fun uh but the movie is just it's just filled with so many silly things that i wish i could just like tell you what they are to give you a, a sense of the movie but i don't want to ruin them for, and for it's, anyone and it's always hard talking about comedy because as we've said before you just turn into chris farley being like there is this one moment yeah and it was funny and great and that's it he, he, yeah um there's a moment i won't go into details there's a moment when jamie dornan's phone rings and his cell phone rings happens at the same time that Kristen wig is doing something physical okay in a way that makes it sound like his cell phone ring is like the soundtrack of the physical <laughs> thing that she's doing that okay. i like i keep thinking it's, it's been two and a half weeks since i watched this movie i keep thinking about that and laughing again um uh, obviously, I mean, Kristen Wiig, I, I love her. Annie Momolo, I don't know much. Uh, I, I know her more as a writer, obviously. You know, she wrote yeah. uh, Bridesmaids um, with Kristen Wiig, but um, she's she's super funny. Um, 
there are yeah there are a lot a lot of things that my wife and i are already just saying to each other uh from this movie um and the uh uh, we've already talked about a desire to watch it again because it feels like there's probably there's just so much going on. It has that anchorman type of thing. Like there's so much going on in the movie that I'm sure there are jokes that I missed uh, that I that I can't wait to go uh, to go back. There's okay. I'll tell this one. Okay. There's over the course of a night, um, both Barb and Star have these heart to heart walk and talks with Jamie Dornan's character. Okay. And they, uh, walk, they, they do the same series of events while they're talking. Like they walk, walk along the same boardwalk. They rent like pedal boats and like talk. So they're the exact, like same shots are mim- mirrored in each one. Oh, okay. But also these things take place hours apart, but the exact same people are in the background <laughs> doing the exact same things. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's so great. Uh, I also say Damon Wayans Jr. Uh, I love him. I, I feel like he's the, um, not that I have any problem really with Damon Wayans, but I think uh, he's, I think Damon Wayans Jr. is funnier than his dad. My exposure to him is limited. It's, it's mostly just when he's on new girl and, Granted, he was he was on the pilot, and then he came back uh, several seasons later, and I felt like they never gave him really much to do. And then I also saw Let's Be Cops, and I remember he and and uh, Jake Johnson had a had a nice chemistry. Um, but yeah, my I, I haven't seen much uh, of him that that well, has know, really made me uh, really respond to him. The reason he was gone from New Girl for those seasons right. is because of happy endings. Happy endings, yeah. He somehow, which I don't, I feel like this isn't supposed to happen. He somehow was in two pilots that got picked up in the same pilot season. And yeah. I guess happy endings, either he wanted to do happy endings more or more likely he was like in first position contract yeah. wise or whatever. And, uh, and, and he, he couldn't do it. Um, but that's, I mean, I think, uh, Happy Endings has maybe a smaller but a much more devoted fan base than New Girl, I think, or sure. a much more rabid fan base. Fan base, so I think that's what the love for him comes from. But uh, um, yeah, he's uh, uh, Damon Wayans is uh, hilarious, and in a in a movie filled with people being silly, he is incredibly silly <laughs> in this movie. I, I think I need to prioritize this movie because it looked funny to me. I didn't know much about it. I, I also didn't want to, cause it seemed like the kind of thing that I would just throw on and be very grateful that I threw it on. Cause I feel like it's a good way to spend, uh, spend an evening. Uh, okay. Uh, so I also, I, um, I, the, the episode I've talked about us doing, for a long time now that we've never gotten to is uh, musical numbers in movies that aren't otherwise musicals. Sure. Um, and uh, there's a big uh, uh, musical number with Barb Starr and Michael Hitchcock in a cast of, uh, of, of extras. Uh, that's really good. Well, Feature Michael Hitchcock, extras. he's yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So next up is a movie I know you have seen, which is Pete doctor's soul. Uh, a movie that I thought is good sometimes very good and very occasionally great. Um, there are some visuals that I think are great. There are some moments that I think are very good. By and large, I think the movie is good. Um, I didn't, there, it's, 
I mean, it's Pete Doctor who made Inside Out as well, I believe, right? And Okay, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he made that. Okay. And it feels a lot like Inside Out. It definitely feels of a piece with that as opposed to some other uh, Pixar stuff. And, you know, coming up with with rules of this sort of ethereal place. And I appreciate that on a certain level, but uh, it also just feels like it's been done. It feels like he didn't he didn't bring a lot, even though he's dealing with different concepts, it still feels very familiar and it feels like a lot of the emotional beats that we're hitting are ones we've hit before and that's officially that's okay but for some reason uh it just it it kept me from being completely invested uh and then there is a moment i don't want to spoil it although the movie's been out for a while and i'm probably one of the last people to see it um there is an extended sequence uh involving a cat and when that happened I was, I was like, I, 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 I'm surprised we're doing this. I really thought the movie was better than this. Uh, And it does well with that, but it also felt like, Oh, I thought we were operating on a higher level than this. Um, And I don't know. So overall, and, and I don't mind the way the movie ends and, and it's, and I think the music is great and it's just, it, it wound up, sort of frustrating me, even though I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it just, ne- it didn't, it never really, it only occasionally grabbed me. Um, and I wanted, I wanted a lot more from it. I feel like I'm a, a man without a country on this, on this movie, because I've got on the one side, I've got the consensus that it's great. Sure. People are like, oh, I, I cried and stuff like that. And I don't feel like that. But then on the other right. side, I've got you and Scott, naysayers and i'm like it wasn't that bad either like i i had a good time i think i all the rule like the the rules changing i saw it as the movie kind of like repeatedly just uh morphing into different genres of like comedy i think i approached it as a comedy first sure and so uh you've got the like oh it's a fish out of water comedy oh it's a body swap comedy oh it's and it keeps it keeps changing what it is it tries on these different uh these different modes and i guess in a in a kind of surfacey way i found the movie in, in enjoyable but uh um so i didn't dislike it as much as you and scott seem to but i'm also like when it comes to you know all of the awards attention and stuff uh, i'm like uh you know calm down it's 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 winning a lot of stuff for its score and and i'm i'm fine with that i think it's a very a very good score that's the um, that's the best part yeah because you've yeah. got uh uh david fincher and, and atticus uh ross trent reznor not david fincher uh sorry because <laughs> uh, i i got the other one my brain got ahead of me because i was uh, Trent Reznor and Alex Ross, who also did Mank, which is yeah. also a jazzy score. Even yes. I, haven't, I haven't watched Mank yet, but I've listened to the score. Sorry, yeah. I know it's that David Fincher is not a film composer. My brain was ahead of my mouth. That's what happened there. Sure. I get that. Right. Is it my turn? Yes. Okay. Ugh. Ugh. And by the way, I feel bad. I, I'm not saying the movie is bad. I'm saying I was frustrated no, by it, it but bad. it's still... Okay. All right. Fair enough. You know, I'm so tired. I I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, All right. Um, 
Uh, I've got I've got two bad ones in a row. Let's not uh, okay. Let's not spend too long on these. Uh, I watched the Russo brothers Cherry. You can read my review on, oh boy. on the website. <laughs> I've been hearing not great things about it. it yeah, it, it's um, well. First off, okay. Before we get to the movie, let's talk about movies that are on Apple. Okay. Does it like? other like netflix and hulu can premiere movies and i and they've gotten to a point where it feels those feel like movies even hbo max has a like premieres movies and it feels like okay that's judas the black messiah that's a movie yeah the movies that premiere on apple tv don't or apple plus i don't i don't even know what the, what the thing is called maybe that's part of it yeah uh it, it, they don't feel like movies and then they come out and then i watch them and review them and i'm like oh yeah that is a movie it's just bad um yeah uh, except for one we'll talk about uh, later, actually. But between Palmer, oh yeah, and Cherry, Apple TV Plus or whatever the fuck it's called, is cornering <laughs> the market on movies where pretty boys play tough guys, and also the movies are bad. Sure, <laughs> um, but Cherry is uh, based on the uh, uh, semi-autobiographical novel of the same name. Um, uh, about a guy who went from who was a college student who then dropped out of college and on a uh, an impulse when his girlfriend broke up with him joined the army then married that girlfriend then went to basic training went to iraq then came back um had ptsd became a heroin addict then became a bank robber to support his heroin addiction then went to prison where he sobered up and learned to write and wrote this book. <laughs> um, I don't know how much of that is actually in Nico. Uh, I know I can't remember his last name, uh, his, his real life. It's the fact that he, most of it, it seems to be true, but the, the book is not a memoir. It's a semi-autobiographical novel. So I'm not sure okay. which parts are, uh, are, are made up, but uh, it just, it feels like the, the Russo brothers trying to prove something, but also not wanting to let go of the thing you, the thing it feels like they're trying to get away from, if you know what I mean? Like, so they're making this like very, it's very, it's like a two hour and 20 minute movie, very long, uh, movie. That's very, you know, that gets very dark. It's very R rated, you know, and it's about, uh, real people not superheroes real people doing doing real things uh so it does feel like the guys who made their name doing first sitcom episodes and then uh um superhero movies uh it it feels like them intentionally trying to get away from that but then still the movie is full of the 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 kind of over the top big movie and I mentioned this in my review. It doesn't say a Russo Brothers film at the end. It says a Russo Brothers movie. And it does feel like a movie movie. But in a way that feels like it's not, um, there's no structuralist or formalist reason for most of these. Sometimes it lands on, on one. The, 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 sometimes the, the sort of postmodern moviness of it does kind of reflect the way that this character tends to see the world that he's, he's kind of an insecure guy, but he's smart. So he's always like distanced from things and commenting on them. 
So every once in a while you can land on a thing where it's like, oh, I, I see how that choice reflects in the character. But a lot of times it just seems like the Russo brothers trying to keep the thing a, a big dumb movie uh, at odds with uh, what the material hmm. seems like it should want to be. Um, but again, it's over long. And also the second half, the heroin bank robbery uh, half of the movie is for all of what they're trying, the, they're, the ways they're trying to spruce it up with all the fourth wall breaking and the big giant yeah. text, um, which, okay, put a pin in that, pin in that, I'll come back yeah. to it. Um, uh, it's, and I hate to, like, because this is based on a real guy, I hate to, like, downplay his addiction, but also they're just, like, there are depictions of heroin addiction like you swing a dead cat in in, yeah. <laughs> in movie history and you'll find one and they all they all seem the same there's or not, or at least very few of them there's very few train spottings out there you know right. um most of them are just like the shaking and the cooking the spoon and the like yeah. you need another hit man like and it's just the same thing uh over and over again um and so, yeah, the movie is uh, garish and overlong. I think the parts, uh, the basic training and Iraq parts are the uh, are the best. And maybe that's just uh, because war and military type stuff fits with what the Russos have been doing. But, uh, you know, but I'm also remind, uh, reminding myself that uh, I'm comparing, I'm like, I, I keep comparing this to their marvel movies right but remember they made a movie before that all of this called welcome to collinwood and i didn't like it i didn't think it was good i didn't know they made that okay um and uh so maybe uh i'm just projecting all of this like comparisons to marvel maybe they're just like they were always bad outside of doing superheroes or you know uh a community type of uh right. self-aware comedy um yeah they seem pretty good with like heightened worlds uh yeah. and so the idea and even though the story that you're talking about is features a lot of uncommon experiences it's still meant to be the real world um the other thing i was gonna say the text you know this thing of like instead of when we get a new we opened a new like location you know Mm -hmm. instead of having a little like subtitle at the bottom that says like basic training you know fort i don't know port wainimi whatever i don't know what uh uh, (laughs) where he did basic training um fort bragg let's say sure um instead of having that at the bottom it's real huge on the screen fort bragg and that's like i feel like 10 years ago sure that was still new but now that's that's stopped being uh killing eve does it which we haven't talked about on the on the tv journal yet but killing eve does the same thing um but i'm reminded of going all the way back to john michael mcdonough's the guard and that's 2011 and when that did it um because that movie opens with like uh um uh, and uh, an NERD song, super loud, and the gigantic letters, the garden. It felt like it felt assaultive. Um, yeah. uh, and, and now that's become a trick that is just expected. Uh, 
I, yeah, I, I know I've I've seen it in a number of movies, although at the moment I can't quite remember which ones. Uh, the I guard, I did see the guard. Yeah, but yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look that up because anyway, uh, yeah, it's uh, it seems like something that somebody does to try to seem like edgy and in your face and that sort of thing. And it and it felt like that uh, again over ten years ago. It felt like that, right? Um, but now I, I feel like we've just like, we've gone as far as we can go with fucking with the text on screen, you know, like I think about, uh, the John wick movies and how like the, the, the non-English dialogue has, and I like the John wick movies, but like the subtitles like come in like in italics or like they're in different right. fonts or like they like that, that's, that stuff is done. It's been done to death now. Let's just go back to. Let's just have regular subtitles now. <laughs> All right. There's a, there's a hill I think we can die on. Let's, uh, I feel like BP hasn't well, taken I a think, stance yeah. in a while. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up is, uh, and now I'm forgetting his name, the director, the guy who made arbitrage. Um, uh, his new, is it Jarecki? It's one of the Jareckis, but there's multiple Jareckis and that's why yeah. I can't. Uh, remember which one is is which this is nicholas jarecki okay his new movie is called crisis um and uh steer clear it's not good at all it's a uh it's a stale version of traffic that's but instead of uh, you know uh drug illegal cocaine coming from um the border with latin america it's about the opioid crisis and, and, uh, uh, illegal opioids. And it tells three stories, um, uh, you know, that have sort of somewhat thing to some, they have a little bit to do with, with, with one another. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's a bad traffic. It's got, uh, in one, you've got army hammer. Uh, so that's, not hurting and that's not helping the movie's <laughs> chances right now um uh army hammer uh as another cover dea agent you've got uh evangeline lily um who's probably actually the gives uh, the best performance in the movie because her character is the one who is least forced to just spout talking points and sure. facts uh so uh but evangeline lily plays a recovering addict herself who then loses her teenage son to an opiate overdose mm. and then you've got gary oldman as a uh scientist and professor who's contracted by pharmaceutical companies to do tests uh and then when uh when his testing of one of their new products gives them results they don't like he tries to become a whistleblower and, and they sort of right. attack his career and stuff. Um, but the movie is just full of, it's just an, every scene is just an info dump and it feels like there's so much dialogue in the movie that needs to be gotten through that everyone feel, feels like they're kind of just rushing through the movie the entire time. Mm -hmm. Like there are, uh, there are uh, like walk and talk, like in the, in the DEA uh, sequences, like walk and talk sequences that feel like you're watching like Aaron Sorkin on fast forward. They're just like dropping as much information as, as they can. And it feels so unnatural. And it really feels like a movie that is more a work of propaganda, I guess, um, than, than anything else. That's unfortunate. I liked arbitrage. Um, me too. Me too. And, uh, 
Yeah, that's it, it. It sounds like one of those things where it's like, yeah, you should have probably just made a documentary since that's clearly what you're essentially doing anyway. Um, yeah. But they're reenacting talking heads. Um, yeah. Okay, here we go, David. All right, there's there's a lot of layers here. Uh, okay, I watched a movie directed Shrek. by. Yes. So there are so many layers. I haven't seen Shrek since I saw it in the theater at the time. And uh, I remember liking it, but within like a, a, a couple of weeks being like, I don't think that's actually, I don't think I like it. Uh, and then there are many more, but uh, no, I watched Kyle Rankin's run hide fight. Do you know what this movie is? Uh, wait. Uh I think when you start saying it, I'm going to uh, okay. remember what it is. Uh, it's, it, I think oh, it was just a school shooting movie. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, it was made by Kyle Rankin and I think it played at uh, some festivals and the daily wire, which was looking is looking to get into like film distribution. Uh, they bought it and they, and you can only watch it on their website. So I was just in the, in the same way that I'm curious about, uh, Christian films. And again, daily wire didn't make it, but they clearly saw something in it that would appeal to their, uh, their fans, um, readers, whatever you want to say. So I was, I was so curious because like, I I'm going to bet I won't like this. And uh, I was correct. I would have made money on that. Um, but <laughs> it's too bad. Cause I, now I'm looking at it. I'm like, uh, whether it's moral of me or not, I do tend to like, uh, genre movies that are right wing. <laughs> Here's the thing though. It's, I, I am, I am at war with myself just as much as this movie is at war with itself because it is, what do you got there? What, I uh, Rankin yeah. made the battle of Shaker Heights. Oh, that's right. Yes. The yes. yes. So Greenlight he's, movie. yeah. So he's, he's been around. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I, I'm not saying anything new when I say it's, it's diehard, but in the midst of a school shooting, that's basically the story. And the acting is is not bad and in fact the 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 filmmaking is not really that bad strictly from a technical standpoint it's very suspenseful you know uh but it re what it it what it really comes down to is i mean obviously we we like die hard and there have been so many die hard in a blank movies it is practically an action subgenre at this point um and there is a heightened quality to that story, you know, like one could even say there's an almost schlocky element to a story like that. So to take that story and put it in the midst of a uh, violent R rated school shooting movie where the shootings, I mean, they look very real and, and disturbing as they should, I would say. But these two things, you know, I, I think you and I have said before, like any, you can make a movie out of anything and you can probably make a good movie out of anything if you, but you got to do it just right. I don't actually know if a good movie could have been made combining these two things because it just feels 
wrong. And I don't even necessarily mean morally wrong. It just feels off. Like you have your, your, your main villain who's kind of speechifying a little bit. And, and you know, Hey, uh, high school, he's like a, a, a student at that school. And this is his big moment. Great. I absolutely believe that, that somebody in that situation might do that, but he's so well-spoken. He very much is a Hans Gruber by way of Heath Ledger's Joker, by the way, from a performance standpoint. And just like, and just the way that he taught, he's like a diehard villain in the, but his, his, his underlings, cause he has henchmen, whatever you want to call them. They are more traditional school shooter types. I hate to put it that way, but, um, and then, you know, when they shoot someone, you know, it's one thing to shoot, uh, what Hart Bachner, uh, <laughs> is that his name? And, uh, and, you know, it's one thing yeah. to shoot him, but these are like high school students who haven't done anything and they're getting shot willy nilly. And then the rest of them are being held hostage. And it's just like, I don't think you can take this story and put it in this, uh, in this setting and make it work it just felt i felt so pulled in two different directions you can make a school shooting movie and you can probably make a school shooting movie where somebody's trying to fight back that's it is probably possible but but to take the diehard template and it is very much that i just don't think just the film feels just wrong like like a like a like a mad science experiment you know like it's just it shouldn't be and you know and i i get from a from a uh, i i get why the daily wire would would pick it up because it is about this this young woman who who uh fights against these these young men and and she's been trained by her dad played by thomas jane who does a fine job um it's just so I, I don't think it's a good movie because I don't think it it could ever have been a good movie. I don't think it could ever have worked, <laughs> even though, again, a lot of the technical elements, a lot of the acting is perfectly fine. But it just I can't like I feel like I've strained something in my body. You know, we don't have we don't have uh, people can't watch this, but you've been watching me like I, I'm literally like tense as I'm trying to talk about the way this film is at war with itself. Um, and it just felt like an experiment that just doesn't work. Um, you've definitely piqued my interest. Hey, I mean, the only way you can, uh, the only yeah, way you can watch it is to give money to daily wire, which yeah, I that, did because I wanted to, yeah, yeah. and that I, I was gonna, I was gonna write a review of Sorry. this for the website, but I'm like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> You know, like it's talking about it. I, I'm going to sleep well tonight because I'm I've expended so much energy just trying to explain <laughs> how weird this experience was watching this movie. Um, all right. Uh, n- next up, uh, a movie that I, I liked. Uh, but Tyler, I will uh, give you a uh, a trigger warning of sorts because okay. you said uh, the last movie journal, I think, or two ago, whatever, when I was talking about Supernova, uh, how hard movies about Alzheimer's are for yeah. you. Uh, well then definitely brace yourself before going into the father, which I, sure. uh, that one sounds so interesting though, from us, it's from a no, technical, it's very standpoint. good. It's yeah. very good. Um, uh, and I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. I, I feel like this, this is a, a we're stepping outside of the movie now, just like in general during this 
endless quarantine during this <laughs> pandemic. I feel like, and I was talking earlier about Apple movies on Apple, not seeming like real movies. That's been the case for me for any, any movie until I see it. It, it just feels theoretical. Sure. Like I, I haven't gotten excited about movies coming out um, at all um, since this has, has started and I don't really bother to learn about them. So I knew that father was, that was getting awards attention. Anthony Hopkins is racking up uh, critics awards, at least uh, left and, and right. Uh, I guess, I guess maybe he'll probably get an Oscar nomination. I don't know because I'm not, fa- I can't, none of this makes sense to me this year. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I, I, I had avoided without even trying, avoided knowing what this movie was about. I literally, I knew that Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman were in it and that's it. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that Olivia Williams uh was in it and i didn't know that rufus sewell um mark gaddis and imogen poots were in it so it's got it's got a great cast yeah um uh, how much do you know about i know about some of the things that they do to put you very much in anthony anthony hopkins shoes and yeah this is so it's an alzheimer's movie that is the only real point of view character is the person who has Alzheimer's or has, I can't remember if they use the word Alzheimer's, but has dementia of some sort. Um, and I say that like asterisk, there are scenes that he's not in, but mm-hmm. those scenes sometimes like other things are later contradicted by the things that, that happen later in the movie. So we don't know did that scene that was just Olivia Williams and Rufus Sewell or Olivia Coleman rather than Rufus Sewell actually happen? Uh, or is, yeah. is this his memory, his imagination? Does he know the difference? Um, the movie is very dis, uh, disorienting um, in a way that is scary and very sad. A lot of the time. Um, uh, the uh, So Olivia Coleman plays his daughter, uh, Rufus Sewell plays her husband, and Imogen Poots plays the nurse they've hired, whereas Olivia Williams and Mark Gaddis play sort of unknown characters. Yeah. We don't know. Are they unknown to him, or is he just forgetting who they are, or or, or, or what? They're, um, there's something kind of threatening whenever they show up, because we know, like, we're not sure who this is. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I wasn't expecting um, something that was this uh, that had this much of a uh, a uh, structural gambit to it. But that's the other thing is it's not. I spent the early part of the movie kind of worried that by the end there would be like a key to unlocking, like oh that's what that represents, and we'd be able to figure out. I I, I was worried there would eventually be some reveal of here's what's really going on, right? And the movie again it's entirely from the point of view of a person with alzheimer's you'd never get that and that's horrifying but that also makes it a much more um i think committed and uh ambitious uh movie um it's also shockingly beautiful to look at um Hmm. uh the mostly i mean it has to do with cinematography but also the the production design and costume design these are this family are people of, of means. They have a nice flat in, in London. Um, or is it two separate flats? We don't know. Uh, mm. Is there, does Anthony Hopkins character have his own flat and Olivia Coleman and Rufus Sewell have their own or is he living with them? It's different at different times. Um, 
because he can't remember. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, 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 they're, the locations are very well appointed or shot very handsomely. And, uh, it's just, a uh, an absolute, um, I was going to say pleasure. It's not a pleasure. It's like I said, it's a horrifying, upsetting yeah. movie, but, um, it, it came as a very positive surprise to me. Cause I, I think I was just expecting a, like a, essentially a Sony Pictures Classics movie that comes out in November. You know, right, <laughs> you know right. exactly what I'm the kind of movie I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, um, but it's uh, it was much better than that. All right, uh, moving on to another movie that I didn't uh, in other years I would have been champing at the bit to see this movie. Didn't get around to it for a long time because I don't think of things as real movies anymore. Um, but I mentioned we'd get to a good Apple. TV plus or whatever the fuck movie, uh, Sophia Coppola's on the rocks. Okay. Is a goddamn masterpiece. It is. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's so, uh, so masterful. So simple. It's the kind of movie that I like that. It seems so simple. It seems kind of like low stakes. It is. I mean, you could describe it as a comedy. I would describe it as a, as a comedy. Um, but it's just so, uh, honest in the way it regards its characters and the way it allows them to regard one another. Um, it's, it's not striving too hard. It's, there's an ease to it that, that only someone of the talents of someone like Sofia Coppola could, could get in, could get in yeah. a movie that is this, uh, uh, seemingly unambitious, but is actually something, uh, gargantuan. Uh, the premise is, uh, Rashida Jones plays a character who is, starting to suspect that her husband played by Marlon Wayne, Marlon Wayans, uh, in his once every, uh, once every five to 10 years, uh, dramatic role, even though I said yeah. it's a comedy, his role is more of a dramatic one. Uh, she's suspecting that he's having an affair. So she decides to consult with a person she knows to be an expert on affairs, her somewhat estranged father, um, uh, who had multiple affairs and left her mother, uh, mm. when, when she was, when she was young, uh, he's played by Bill, Bill Murray and he's, you can see why he's had a lot of affairs because in it, he's an incredibly charming and very, very rich man. Um, but, uh, uh, you can also, there's also obviously some selfishness and some yeah. uh, immaturity to him as well. So, uh, uh, and speaking, so the immaturity part comes in the, in the fact that he, he doesn't, he's when his daughter comes to him with this, he isn't like, let me, give you a, a shoulder to, to cry on or someone to open up to. He's like, no, we're going to catch this guy. And the movie turns into like a buddy caper type mm. of comedy of them, like following Marlon Wayans around the city, trying to catch him and find out whether or not he's, ha he's having an affair. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a showcase for Bill Murray to just be absolutely Bill Murray yeah. um, at his, at his Bill Murrayist for, for a, a solid 90 minutes. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I really really loved it. Um, it has. Uh, I almost don't. I don't know if this is a a bit of a. And it's not really a spoiler. Basically, it has a shot of. Go oh, here, yeah, because here's the other thing. Another reason I love it. It's a drinking movie. Wherever they go, they stop and have a drink. The movie's called On the Rocks because their yeah. marriage is on the rocks, but also because they drink throughout the entire movie. Um, and there is a part where she's, you know, 
she's mostly like worried and angry, but there is a part where Rashida Jones has uh, starts to cry a little bit, and we see in slow motion a teardrop fall into her martini. And on paper, that sounds corny and on the nose, yeah. but it's an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful moment in uh, in the movie. And and Sofia Coppola's God, the confidence of of that woman yeah. as a as a director uh, and the way that she pulls things off. Uh, man, I'm, I'm over the moon about uh, uh, on the rocks. Yeah, Whereas I, I wasn't over the moon. I was I was Rocky on over the moon. <laughs> hey, hey, all right. I wish we could end there, but uh, uh, but uh, actually, um, yeah, uh, I want to talk about a, a 2020 film that I love, um, and I'm certainly not alone in, which is uh, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, which. You've seen it. Yeah. And so you know that everything about this is my kind of movie. Um, right. Just the the naturalism, but also finding a natural beauty in the, not merely the everyday, but also, I mean, there are, you know, our characters uh, drive to genuinely beautiful places. And so they're actively seeking uh, beauty as well. Um, and uh, a main character who is a little bit uh, enigmatic and isolated and is not going to give you very much and is not going to give other characters very much um, combined with this almost documentary uh, style of incorporating actual people and having them essentially play themselves. And, and it's just such a, such a beautiful portrait of this subculture. And one thing that I, uh, I was talking with some friends about, and one thing that we like is that yes, on one hand, uh, it does, it would, it would seem to talk about, you know, the, the unfortunate situation that like, older Americans, some older Americans can find themselves in. And so they, they wind up uh, being sort of forced into this situation. But one thing that I like is that it doesn't say that that's how it is across the board. Some of these characters, for whatever reason, seem to have chosen this lifestyle and find it invigorating. And I feel like if the film had, had treated them solely as victims of a bad economy or, or, or whatever, I feel like it would rob them of agency. It would, it would be using them to make uh, like a, a point of some kind. And I like that it lets the point be there. If, if somebody wants it to be there uh, and just lets these characters live, I feel like those, those tend to be the movies that I really like is when you have characters that are allowed to just be themselves flawed, uh, noble, whatever you want to say, and probably a combination of all of those, uh, quirky, but also realistic. And at no point did I feel like the movie was condescending to them, uh, or thought it was above them, nor did it, nor did it raise them up as like they're they they're operating on a higher level than the rest of us we're all in the rat race and they've broken free it 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 manages to just see them as humans who ad admittedly like are living in a different way than the rest of us uh live uh and that's okay and it, and it's it's interesting but that doesn't mean it's abnormal certainly for them and it can be a sad thing, but that doesn't mean it is for everybody. I just love the, the balance and the curiosity of the film. And it just, it really got me. I really, really adored it. 
Um, I guess I'll be the 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 naysayer here. I think I said some of this back in November or December whenever I talked about it. Because um, I disagree. Um, I don't hate the movie. It's very beautiful to, to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I disagree uh, with your overall opinion of the movie and i disagree specifically with some of the things that you that you said because i feel like my problem is that there's actually a lack of curiosity that Mm. that it doesn't allow the real people to be themselves because they have to almost like uh i know you've complained about those disney nature documentaries like yes uh making up narratives and imposing narratives that aren't there it almost feels like that's what is happening here. It's I like see you're, you're getting this documentary type of approach, but no one's actually really allowed to be themselves or be natural because they have to fit into the preset storyline that uh, of Francis Bittenhorn's character that Chloe Zhao is, is, is getting at. So I, uh, I feel like, yeah, I, a lack of curiosity uh, uh, and, and a sense that, this movie is telling us who these people are more so than finding out who these people are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and I see where you're coming from. I would say that, yeah, the idea of, of fitting them into a narrative, I think I would agree with that. If this were more narrative based, uh, like it is pretty freewheeling and, and I'm, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to read the script, uh, because I, I get the feeling that a lot of it is improvised um, and Francis McDormand being able to just kind of roll with these people and, and, and let them say what they're going to say. But yes, it does have to fit into what's going to happen. Um, but I think that's, I, and maybe that's one of the things that I, that I do like about the movie is, is that uh, I have a hard time knowing where the artificiality is and where the realism is, you know, I don't know how much these character, these, these real people, how much they are informing what is happening and how much they're informing their own scenes. Um, and that to me is kind of invigorating. I always like that sort of thing. It's I'm reminded in, in vague ways of, uh, Vanya on 42nd street. Um, where you where it's sort of a documentary uh, in which like the actors I never actually saw that oh it's right. it's i think you'd love it um and and i think that i you know what i when you say it's it's not very curious i do think there probably is a bit of a remove uh emotionally this is not the kind of movie that i think would make you cry or make you feel like you're right there with them uh so maybe curiosity is not the not the word but i would say sympathetic uh to them and and wanting to get their story right to the degree that it can um but yeah it's uh i i i was surprised uh how much i appreciated this movie uh, all right. Next up, I watched um, a newly restored version of a uh, movie from 1972 that was a very rare movie for many years. Uh, a documentary called FTA, which uh, stands. Well, I guess it's based on an old join the army slogan of fun, travel, adventure. Okay. But it either means free the army or fuck the army. Got it. And, uh, Basically, the backstory is here that as a sort of intentional 
satirical counter programming to Bob Hope USO type shows. A group of uh, uh, actors, comedians, and musicians, including Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland and Paul Mooney, um, and some other. Anyway, there's other people who aren't in the movie who were involved with earlier versions of the FTA show. Basically, put on this review essentially um, that they toured around to towns that had military bases and then said, said GIs can get in for free. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so it was an act of, of, of protest specifically uh, in the, the nature of the material specifically like in uh, solidarity with the troops. It's a very, it's a very pro troops, anti war, anti military, anti uh, uh, Vietnam, I guess, policy foreign policy type of point of view um and they toured that around the continental u.s for a while and then they did hawaii philippines and japan and that's the portion they took a camera crew along with and, and filmed that and made a documentary that's a, a sort of traveling like concert film documentary but it's also interspersed in between at each stop the cast of the uh, of the of the fta show talking with gis um mm. um uh, and so you get like, you know, Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland sitting down across the table, having a beer and a cigarette with some, you know, some grunts who were talking, talking about the actual uh, uh, life of, you know, uh, their life being deployed or, or being in the military. Um, it's a really fascinating documentary. It's also the, uh, aside from the politics of it, the show itself is super funny and super entertaining like this is a it's a good show it's 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 a good performance and just as a concert film it works um uh as a political film i think i wrote about this in my review there's when a, when a documentary comes out that's like an issue documentary yeah. when it comes out a lot of the judgment of it the quality of it is judged by how how well or not well it makes its argument yeah as as time goes on, those type of documentaries become more, there's a more objective approach to them as just sort of documents of that time and that um, mm -hmm. point of view. And I think that uh, those, those things tend to be, become richer as they, as, as they age. And so I think uh, on that uh, uh, aspect uh, as well, um, the movie is, is a success. So that's, I very much recommend FTA. Now I'll tell you the story of why it was so rare for so long is because they made the movie or they made, they did the tour, they you know, made the movie. And then within day, like less than a week, either before or after the movie came into theaters was when Jane Fonda made her ill-advised and highly controversial trip to Hanoi, where she was photographed sitting on an enemy anti-aircraft uh, gun and she became Hanoi Jane. And it was just yeah. like, she was Jane Fonda and the Vietnam war were so toxic that the, the distributors just pulled the movie from theaters and it was never again publicly shown until 2009 hmm. um uh when now i can't remember his name but uh, another documentary filmmaker basically like found it while he was looking for clips to use for another documentary he was made and they ended up uh showing the movie at the egyptian actually here in in los angeles and now they've restored it and it's getting uh it's sort of 
digitally at least virtually it's getting its first official release since it's very truncated <laughs> release back in 1972 um, is it so getting a, any uh, blu-ray distribution do you know uh these type of things usually do my guess is that it'll end up on a film movement blu-ray okay. because that's who's uh, uh doing the virtual cinema thing so yeah i'm i'm sure there'll be a film movement blu-ray uh, uh coming down the line um but yeah really fascinating document and uh um definitely a good time at the uh, 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 just a good watch um and also not to be purient but i'll be equal opportunity here 1972 Donald sutherland and 1970 jane fonda are both so hot (laughs) 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 it's uh it's just staggering the entire movie oh man it sounds like clute is the movie for you yeah this would have been right after they made yeah clute i think yeah, I think that was 71. Okay. Oh, and then I have another one. Um, oh, speaking of it, weirdly, the thing that's come up twice, I talked about Sin being a movie that was made before Dear Comrades, but coming out after. So last year, we saw the release of Quentin Dupio, Dupuis' uh, Deer Skin, which right. is the first Quentin Dupuis movie I've ever liked. Uh, and now we've got Keep an Eye Out is, is coming out. <laughs> and that was actually made for, before Deer Skin. So... Uh, apparently i was wrong the 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 turn in his career towards movies that i like didn't happen with deer skin it happened with 2018's keep an eye out which is only now coming out uh in the u.s but uh this movie such it's so much fun um because i, I the thing the the reason i didn't like earlier quentin depew stuff is that it just felt like empty idiosyncrasy and just one sure. thing after another and just like watching a whole movie of going like, yeah, that's weird. That's, that, that's weird. But, uh, he seems to have settled into both, both keep an eye out and deer skin seem to take place around now, but have a very early eighties, late seventies aesthetic. Um, and also, uh, it's, it seems like he's, as he's gotten older, he, he has actual things on his mind. You know, Deerskin. Uh, I mean, I feel like pe- uh, people who love movies often love movies that are not not necessarily about the movie industry, but about metaphors for filmmaking. Sure. And um, so, uh, Deerskin, as a movie about a guy who becomes a serial killer and films his murders because he's being told what to do by an evil deerskin fringe jacket um is is about that uh this one is more about not movies but storytelling itself keep an eye out it has and this is also a big change from like i i just tried to describe the plot of deerskin and it sounded insane right keep an eye out is delightfully so yeah (laughs) but quentin or keep an eye out is the first quentin depew movie that i feel like you can describe and it just sounds like a movie um basically you start with a guy he's after hours in a police station he's at the desk in a bullpen largely empty bullpen um uh being interrogated casually not and it's not an interrogation room but being questioned by a detective because this man we we, we find out uh discovered a dead body called nine called the police nine, it's probably not 911 in france right. he called the police and uh has now found himself the chief suspect in the murder uh and so we've got this interrogation and we've got him telling his recounting what happened that night and then we get flashbacks to that night so there's sort of two storylines okay the, the main but uh 
that's the story, but uh, it it is filled with strange, uh, surreal things. Um, <coughs> like the, I mean, the title itself is a really silly pun because the only other cop working late in the bullpen that night is a one-eyed cop. <laughs> um, but then there becomes more surreal stuff whereas this guy um mr fugain i can't I, I think i can't can't quite my french is good enough to know quite how to pronounce his name mr fugain um as we get his flashbacks the version of himself in the flashback becomes kind of self-aware he knows he's in a flashback he knows what's going to happen but he also knows that he can't change it um and you get some strange comedy uh, out of out of that, but um, really the movie is more about that the story that this guy's telling. The fact that it ends in finding a dead body seems to be the least interesting thing to this uh, police commissioner, who's the guy from Man Bites Dog, I never, which I never oh, saw, okay. but I know that's a Criterion movie and that uh, has yeah. a lot of fans. Um, but. Um, He's like, and this is the part I called out my, in my review. There's a part in the, when he's telling the story, he, uh, he's talking about how when he stepped outside, it was cold enough that he could see his breath. And so he amused himself for a little bit by pretending to smoke a cigarette with like miming smoking a cigarette. And the police commissioner doesn't say, come on, stick to the facts. He follows that line of questioning. He starts asking <laughs> more questions because he's just interested in these like little bits of color, these little tidbits in the yeah. story. He doesn't actually seem to really care about solving the case. He just wants to be entertained by this interrogation. And so that's what I say. This is a movie about storytelling. It's sort of, and maybe this is me. I think we tend to, you, you and I have talked about pet themes. We did a whole episode on it. Right. Um, those may, those might be preoccupations to the point that we tend to project them onto movies. I don't know, but um uh, keep an eye out reminded me in, in only this way, not in a lot of other ways, of La Flor, the um, uh, Mariana Ines, uh Argentinian movie from a year or two ago, uh, which are both movies that are very much about how compelling storytelling can be, even though they don't like... Uh, I, they're about how compelling story, storytelling can be, even separate from the resolution of that story that we, we tend to think of a good story as something that like comes to a point and we're like, yes, you, you put the chair and you landed it, but just the act of telling a story can be engaging and there can be a reward just in that yeah. uh, on, on its own. And I, and I recognized some of that and keep an eye out um, and you know, really, really liked it. It sounds delightful. And it also um, has, unlike earlier Quentin Depew stuff, which may not being too hard on, it's not, it has weird stuff that I haven't even talked about, but it also has just actual jokes. Like there's some of this stuff is funny, not cause it's weird, but just cause like, oh, that's funny. Like, um, uh, he's, he says the, the, he, the commissioner asks like, had you ever seen a corpse before in your life? And he says, no, I never have. And he's like, how did you know the man was dead when you saw him? If you'd never seen a, a dead person before. And he said, well, I've seen lots of live people. So I compared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that seems very French, but also a little British. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only, the only film of his that I've seen is uh, rubber, um, which I, I, I enjoyed. I know that you, you saw it, right. And didn't uh, no, care I never for saw it? that one. I didn't oh, like okay. wrong. Uh, maybe I just don't like, maybe I just like him when he's in French. I mean, that's what I like mm -hmm. when his movies are in French. Uh, yeah, rubber is, is not, but, uh, it's, 
it's definitely the kind of thing and this will be a, a transition into my next movie but um it's definitely a movie that has a lot of weird instincts and i think i just appreciate somebody following those instincts wherever they're gonna go and so uh this next one my last one is a rewatch um i should say uh so and maybe i maybe i've said it already so zoom and and the pandemic has allowed me and jen to be part of a essentially a movie club with some friends from chicago mm. um that is and uh, it's something that they were doing already but uh, then they realized like they were doing it over zoom with people that lived in chicago so they might as well invite us in so every week somebody picks what what we're going to watch. And sometimes it's something that person hasn't seen. Uh, sometimes it's something they have seen, whatever. Anyway. So it was Jen's pick and she picked Swiss army man, which wow. I haven't seen since it was, since it was new, she really loves uh, the movie. And so she and I rewatched it and I don't like it as much as she does, but there's, and I, and I especially have issues with the ending, but up until that point, I really enjoy the journey and I appreciate how willing uh, the directors are to go wherever they're going to go. Sometimes it's places that are gross. Obviously there's an absurdity to it. Uh, there's a, a magical realism to it that I kind of appreciate uh, to say nothing of just the, the complete commitment of the two actors uh, who, who make it work uh, as well as it's going to work. Um, and I also really love the score, which also features the two actors. Um, it's just a, you know, I, I'm sure the listeners at this point already know what it's about. So I'm not going to go into detail about it, but there's a real creativity and a real, like I said, a, a willingness to just indulge themselves. And certainly I think the film, it could be argued that the film is self-indulgent at times, but in a way that I usually appreciate. And I think, you know, you were, t you were talking about storytelling and that too often we think of it both as viewers and readers or whatever uh, as an audience, but also I think filmmakers think of it as like, well, we got to get to a very specific ending where we kind of wrap it all up. Uh, I think Swiss army, Swiss army man is that it's most satisfying when it's not doing that. And then when it finally does get to that, I'm like, Oh, I understand that you kind of want to show that your main character has learned some things. And so he, he's applying all of this, but now it just feels like, you're putting a cap on everything. And up until now, you've been perfectly fine not explaining things. Um, and I kind of, and I appreciate that. So yeah, it's, it is, I think it's an imperfect movie, but it's one that I, I did enjoy watching and knowing where it was, where it was going to go, not just in the ending, but throughout uh, gave me an appreciation for just what the actors especially were, were doing Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe specifically. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I saw that movie at my first Sundance, um, 2016. Um, and I, uh, still laugh when I think of Dana Radcliffe going, Laura Dern. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's great. Like he's, he's doing some really, really funny things. Uh, like there's, there's a thing where Paul Dano is like dressing up like the, the, woman of his dreams played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And, um, right. and he's, he's going crazy from starvation. And, uh, and so he has to perform for the, the character Manny played by Daniel Radcliffe and his corpse voice is just so hilarious because it's so straightforward. And he goes, Hank, he's just, 
get out of here before you starve and die. And, uh, and it's very funny. I like the writing of the character and I like his interpretation of the character. Uh, all right. Last one for me. Uh, oh, I don't let me spend too long on this stupid movie. Joe Carnahan's <laughs> okay. boss level. Um, okay. It's yet another uh, Groundhog Day variation mm. uh, in which uh, Frank Grillo, uh, uh, an actor that I like, uh, plays a guy who gets killed every day. He wakes up on uh, the day that a, for some reason that he is unaware of, a bunch of assassins have been sent to kill him and are all competing to kill him. So if you, even if he manages to outsmart one, he gets killed by another. So he has to over the course of the many attempts of the day, like figure out how to sort of avoid the gamut of, of uh, assassination attempts and figure out what's going on and why someone's trying to kill him and why he's reliving the day. Uh, it's not a, ter- uh, on paper, it's not bad. I also like yeah. the fact that uh, I'm not sure there are so many of these type of movies that I'm not sure if this is, it. this has probably been done before, but I couldn't think of an example where the movie starts over a hundred days in. Like he's already hmm. been doing this for months at the time that the movie starts. Then we I like that, a little bit actually through, through flashbacks. Yeah, that that um, uh, that is that is of of interest. But uh, it's just kind of like Cherry. The Joe Carnahan. Joe Carnahan is just like he just makes the thing garishly over the top, and the biggest sin is that the movie is trying so hard to be a comedy and is just repeatedly hmm. unfunny and just like i i feel like when when the movie plays up the dark comedy of the repeated gag of like how's he going to get brutally murdered this time frank grillo is the right type of performer for that yes. type of comedy yes but he's not ryan reynolds he's not a deadpool type when it comes sure. to like being quippy it's it, it's it's not his uh strong suit and also the script isn't there the jokes are lame um you've got uh if i you know however you feel about whether or not mel gibson should be in movies uh right now at at least if you i mean have him in a movie for a reason here he's playing just the generic bad guy which is Mm -hmm. another that's another i think major mistake is that the movie leaves the main character's point of view. I think the, mm. the the way that this would work should work is that we only find things out as, as he does, you, you know, and we never yeah. get outside, but we get scenes with, uh, Will Ferrell, uh, Will Ferrell, Will Sasso, uh, as, um, Mel Gibson's like number one henchman. Like, you know, he's the one who sends out all the assassins. Naomi Watts plays Frank, Frank Gillow's wife, um, I, I looked it up. Naomi Watson, Mel Gibson had never been in a movie before, despite hmm. both being Australian, right? Uh, well, Australian uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Australian adjacent. But I guess I. Someone once told me. I don't know if it's true. Someone once told me that basically Australian celebrities, because it's a smaller population whether or not they've worked together, they all know each other. If you're famous sure. in Australian, you just like know each other. So I wonder if Naomi Watson and Mel Gibson know each other, just had never worked together before. Sure. Uh, they um, hang out and they're like, we got to, we got to find a project. Oh, this boss level thing sounds good. Yeah. Uh, you know what? There was something else I was going to say about boss level. Oh, sorry. Um, and I've forgotten what it is. 
but uh you can read my review um hopefully i uh addressed oh that's gonna bug me is i just cannot remember what it was that i was gonna say anyway well, you can think about it while I talk about my frustration with Joe Carnahan, because uh, I love NARC from 2002, and I there are things I really like about The Gray. Um, I and really like The Gray. I've never seen Some it. people really like it. I, don't, I wouldn't go that far, but I think he's probably at his best when he's being pretty sincere. But I saw Smoke and Aces, and Boss Level sounds a lot like it. Like when he's trying to be like over the top, goofy, silly, and violent, it's just like this is this it's more exhausting than anything else. And uh and yeah, it's but I I I really love Narc and I I respect the gray actually quite a bit. Uh, yeah, no, I, I you remember you mentioned violence. Uh, I remember what I was going to say is that he's still like Joe Carnahan still knows his way about it around an action sequence from time to time. There are car yeah. chases in this movie that are good. And for a movie that doesn't sound like it would have sword fights, there's actually a lot of sword fighting in boss level <laughs> and it's pretty good sword fighting. I like the sword okay. fight scenes. 